Poetry on Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vihos. Hi, I'm Lisa Vihos, and this is Poetry on Air, a program of Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, in which we explore poetry and the meaning, inspiration, and healing it brings to our lives. My guest today is Georgia Ressmeyer. Georgia is an award-winning poet and former defense attorney. She lives in Sheboygan, near Lake Michigan, and has several poetry publications to her name. Her most recent is the book she is going to read from today, Leading a Life, published in 2021 by Water's Edge Press. Welcome, Georgia. Well, it's good to be here, Lisa. Thank you. you, It's great to have you. Um, So let's start out with you telling us a little bit about this book, Leading a Life. Um, What was your impetus for writing it? Well, I had already written three books of poetry, and um, I was looking for something different. And actually, this this manuscript was about 10 years in the making. Um, I had a job um, when I was a lawyer. Um, I was a public defender in Milwaukee. And I worked, my last job was 18 years as a defense attorney in uh, civil commitment cases, Mm -hmm. um, defending people who were alleged to be mentally ill and a danger to themselves or others. Um, and to need confinement and treatment, um, sometimes involuntary treatment. It was the best job I ever had. I really, really liked it. I related well to, to my clients. Um, and the only problems I had were really with the politics of mental health law and the Mm. law enforcement system. And sometimes the judges and court commissioners who could be rather paternalistic Mm. and not follow the law. (laughs) So anyway, um, I um, about 10 years ago, I was looking in my journal for um, I was looking trying to find when when something happened. And I noticed I had all these notes on cases mm-hmm. when the first year I was a public defender doing this kind of case. And um, that was like more than 35 years ago. Wow. And so I decided to make some of those in stories of encounters with clients into poems. Okay. So I wrote um, nine of them. Um, some of them I published in other publications, including in my own books, but without any context. So, yeah. And then I thought I should pull those together. Interesting. Um, because it wasn't a very interesting job, and I figured enough time had passed so I wouldn't be really violating people's my client's confidentiality sure. or anything like that. So, um, but it took me 10 years to figure out how to put the book together. Uh-huh. Um, I had nine story poems. It wasn't really enough to make a chat book, which sure. is a short book of poems. Mm-hmm. So then I figured, well, I have, I, I will write some poems and I already have some poems about my own mental and emotional states sure. that are sort of not my <laughs> usual states, uh-huh. but... And, you know, and I and I know everybody has them. So I thought maybe I could intersperse some of them with the story poems. Mm -hmm. That was that didn't work so well. But I ultimately decided to um, 
make them their own separate section. Got it. And the people who, you know, reviewed the book and, you know, wrote blurbs for me on the book thought it worked well to, to um, put them to put them in the same book, you yeah. know, as separate sections. So, so that's, that's what I did. Yeah. So the first section is called Leading a Life, which is the title of the book. Right. And then the second section is called Wayward Thoughts. Yeah. Wayward Thoughts were my thoughts. Pulled together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, let's start out with the first section and um, read us read us the uh, first poem. Yeah. Um, uh, this is about a, a probable cause hearing. What happened is people come into the hospital, they're entitled to a probable cause hearing within 30 no, within 72 hours of when they arrive at the hospital. Okay. So um, I haven't had a lot of time to meet them and talk with them. And sometimes they are in a, you know, a slightly psychotic state. Agitated state. Yes, agitated, <laughs> right. This was, a, this was a fun probable cause hearing, as you will see. Okay, let's hear it. Queen of the courtroom. She was queen of the courtroom, dispensing her bounty with grace and warmth. She glowed and spread good cheer and compliments like butter on a slice of just baked bread. Some smiled to see her slather up the room, shaking everybody's hand, flattering them about their teeth, their eyes, their obvious intelligence. A few, the ones who knew her best, returned her winks. The nursing students sitting in on court, blank-faced, thunderstruck, visibly shrank in fear when she approached their group to say how pleased she was that they could come. She claimed to be a modest woman, then raised her hospital gown to show them bruises on her upper thigh, inflicted, she said, by two of the petitioners in the case. During the hearing, she interrupted every witness, yelling, lies, you're under oath, or tell the truth. She tried to cross-examine some of them herself, including the psychiatrist who labeled her bipolar and manic. No one could silence her. We lost the hearing, although my client never lost the rapt attention of all present. Afterward, she refused to leave the courtroom until she'd shaken every willing hand, wished all a happy holiday, and told a few how beautiful they were. For the court commissioner who ruled against her, she had a different message. Shaking that reluctant hand, my client said, I do a lot for humanity. And so she did, especially for those of us in thankless jobs who occasionally enjoyed our court hearings sunny side up and our rare praises laid on thick by the queen of the courtroom whenever she deigned to favor us with her presence. That's wonderful. What a what a personality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you really Yeah. I mean, I can I can imagine her sort of ruling over the the room. Right. You know, people would cycle through and come back and yeah. we, we would sometimes see them again, which yeah. in some cases was a, a special pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So despite her, I suppose you could say her vulnerable position, she took charge. She did. Told people they were beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's terrific. Um, let's hear another one. Yeah. This one is, um, it's called Each Other's Keepers. And it's about the first time I met a client on the ward before we had court. It was like mm. the day before, mm-hmm. the day after he'd come in and the day before we had the probable cause hearing. Okay. Each Other's Keepers. He was tormented when I met him. Snakes everywhere, electrocutions, explosions, dark circles under his eyes, pants falling down, hadn't eaten in days, tried to suffocate his mother with one hand, or so the police claimed, though he said he'd been trying to protect her from breathing poisonous fumes. When we sat down to discuss the commitment case against him, he asked, What would you do if you went down to the basement of your house and you saw that three people were trapped in the furnace with a boa constrictor and none of them had eaten in a week? He said there were bombs going off all around him, exploding under his feet. He could hear the explosions a second apart. I asked whether the sounds he heard might possibly be the beat of his own heart. No, he said, without anger, pointing at the floor, it's coming from down there. He told me he had three big worries about staying at the hospital. His dog, who required medical attention. His mother, who was old and weak and needed him around the house and the people in the furnace, who had to be gotten out. At his request, we telephoned his mother. She was elated to hear he was accepting medication. She asked if he would have to stay in the hospital long. I'm an old woman, she said, and frail. It's hard for me to get along without him. Later that day, his mother called and told me he was fine when he took medication. He cooks for himself, she said, takes out the garbage, puts my storm windows up. I do his laundry, but he pays me for that. Then she added, all we have is each other. There's no one else to talk to. How long did she live, I wonder, and what happened to him after she was gone? I don't worry about her. She obviously had a gift for adapting with good grace to whatever the future brought. Her son, I believe, inherited a portion of that. Hmm. Each other's keepers. They were. They were, yeah. And uh, some intense things. What was it like to to interact with people who are having such challenges as explosions and people in the furnace and how did you well how I, did you cope i um i didn't argue with them that was sure. never a good strategy <laughs> i mean i didn't say no you didn't yeah. <laughs> you were imagining that or it was a hallucination i just mm-hmm. i just listened i listened mm-hmm. i was sympathetic yeah um and and he was a sympathetic character mm-hmm. um um I, I don't, how did I cope? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think it was because on some level I identified mm-hmm. with my clients. Interesting. Because I, I had, a, I was, I was a shy introvert as a child. I'm okay. really good at being alone. And so I think 
Mm. You um, could relate. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I always felt like I was different from other people anyway. So mm-hmm. it was like, <laughs> so on some level, I thought these are my people. Interesting. I really did. Oh, wow. Let's hear, um, you were going to read the title poem too, right? Right, right. Let's hear that one. Okay. This is called Leading a Life. It is self-explanatory. It's 1984. A client at the mental health center tells me she's wired to a telephone pole behind her house and that her movements are transmitted on TV for purposes of dirty sex. She can't leave until those wires are cut. She's sure it's still her house, even without utilities. Despite what the city claims, how often they condemn it, or how many padlocks they put on the doors. Once those wires are cut, she says, the city can take her house if they still want it, and she can lead a normal life. I know how to lead a life, she adds. I'm not mental. She denies owing past due property taxes, says no one pays taxes these days, and... No one uses money. She tells me she's 85, then tells someone else she's 50. I ask her why she does this. She smiles and says, you have to tell them something. The house is the house she grew up in, a bungalow west of the river in the neighborhood where I live too. Of course she's wired to that house. Couldn't not be after so many years spent in one familiar place amid the odors and shimmering forms of family, all now deceased. It's her house and will remain so until death with his wire cutters comes to make that final cut as he did for her parents and siblings. I convinced the court to dismiss the commitment case against her which had been initiated by the city to ease the seizing of her home. Then I find a legal services attorney to help her get it back. I give her a winter coat and boots I don't wear much and drive her to a homeless shelter, hoping she'll accept services and stay put for a while. On my way back to the office, I wonder if, when I'm her age, I'll be as wily and resilient and loyal to my memories and to my house as she is to hers. Or will I one day go to meet a client on the wards and, forgetting to bring my briefcase, be so indistinguishable from most patients that staff won't let me leave? And will I be relieved and not protest and will I take whatever meds I'm told are best? Beautiful. You're listening to Poetry on Air. I'm Lisa Vihos, and my guest today is poet Georgia Ressmeyer, sharing from her new book of poems, Leading a Life, published in 2021 by Water's Edge Press. So let's move into the second half of the book, the wayward thoughts section. Um, start us off with, with the selection that you, that you made for us. 
Yeah, th this is called The Queen of Pride. Um, and um, it's about me. I wrote it about me, but it's amazing how many people um, have have said it was their favorite one in that in this whole section. Interesting. It, it's like people can relate to it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Queen of Pride. Please do not ask the Queen of Pride to go unmediated through the world. She needs a crutch, one that is slender as a reed, if not invisible. No one must know the price she paid for it, too high, too low, or that she paid a price at all. Her creed of keeping weakness under wraps now leads to such dissemblance that her fear just grows that she will be unmasked, the brace kicked out from under her. She dare not show her dread of being made a fool, nor can she shout or call attention to herself. The bed this queen has made, on which she now must lie, has needles in it, but she will not cry. The queen of pride. Yeah. Doesn't let anything get to her. Well, doesn't let like to show weakness. Yeah. I, you know, I think part of it comes yeah. from being a middle child. Ah. Because you gotta, you have to be quiet. You can't make <laughs> your mother. Your mother's stressed from younger children, and and she she must say, I can't remember her saying this to me, but I mm. bet mommy needs you not to cry. And oh. I internalized that, and I thought crying was bad somehow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could. This poem. This is a sonnet. Yes, a classic sonnet. Yes. Was it the only form form based poem yeah, it in the is. book? It's, it's, it's all, beautiful. All the rest is free verse. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for noticing that. Of course. <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, did yeah. you did you know like when you set out to write it? Did you say I wanted? Did you have the idea to write about the Queen of Pride? And you picked a sonnet form, or did it happen like? Organically, I do you remember? It, it was just during a time when I, I really the the it's, the sonnet is the only form I like mm -hmm. in poetry. So I at the, at one point I was writing a lot of them. I think I just this came out. Yeah, just that's how it came <laughs> at the out. sonnet time. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, let's do another one. Let's. You were going to read a moment's piece. Yeah. Let's hear that one. Yeah. Um, this is um, this was when my parents were quite old and they were in a nursing home and mm. because at that point I wasn't working anymore I was the one of my my siblings uh, there were there were four of us kids and I was the only one who was um, free to take they were on Long Island I was in Wisconsin I was the only one um, available to mm -hmm. be there a lot so I I would stay take them to whatever surgeries or procedures they were having. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I would stay elsewhere, but join them for dinner. So mm -hmm. this was about having dinner with my parents at the nursing home in the dining room, just a short way down the hall from where they fortunately had a room together. Oh. A moment's peace. The head I hold in my hands is mine. Cheekbones snug on the pads of my palms. Eyes and eyebrows calm in their flesh-lined tents, forehead soothed by cool-feeling fingers. 
I could be any age, belong to any, crouched by a fire in a cave at night, a refugee in a crowded camp, my father at 90, not hungry, waiting for mom to stop stabbing at her mouth with a spoon that shakes, life winding down, closing off the world for a few seconds' peace, prayerful or blank, cradling bones and flesh in bones and flesh, until I'm called back to the world of want. Free dad's walker from the stack, remove mom's bib and guide her in her wheelchair out of the room through a hedge of legs. I miss the days not long ago when both my parents were still fully present. Now I am bereft even when I'm with them, dad cocooned in sleep, mom staring past me at shapes I cannot see, shifting her soul to meet them. Mm. Yeah, I really related to that poem. Um, having dealt with my dad when he was... Right, I remember that, yeah. Disintegrating. <laughs> and yeah. that the the line, um, let's see. I miss the days not long ago when both my parents were still fully present. That That got me. Yeah. Um, I, I brought a poem of mine that uh, resonates, and I was hoping I could share it. Yes, I, I actually I'm familiar with that poem. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful poem, and I hope and I'm glad you're reading it. <laughs> it it responds to what you or it resonates with what you read. It's called Reversal. We come into the world and then go out the same, incontinent. It isn't supposed to be like this, is it? I push you in your chair and bend to tie your shoes. Those were your jobs. I used to ask, why this, why that? And now that is you asking, and then not remembering that I sat with you today. We know why, but we can't face it. That loss of sharpness, that inability to maneuver. Old age visits us now an unexpected guest at the table, who came with gifts, yes, but will not leave until it has its way with you, with us, making everything that ever bothered me about you multiplied a thousand times, along with everything I ever loved. That's right. That, that, that the last, those last lines, making everything that ever bothered me about you multiplied a thousand times, along with everything I ever loved, I totally get that. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. This aging thing. It is. Nobody yeah. prepares us. No, they don't. They lie. They, <laughs> they keep things from us. Oh, All the things goodness. that can go wrong. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Well, on that note, I want to hear Hope Dips. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is a relatively short poem um, about depression. Hope dips. Hope dips, a wind-abandoned kite that can't be saved by tugging on its string and dives and will not try to save itself and will not rise, 
not envy dragonflies or pray for wings. Hope's landing is a crash with splintering. No one regrets the passing of a passive thing. It lies unmourned, a tattered bit of stuff that would not fly, not will itself onto a higher plane, not miss the waning of bird songs, the energy with which they strung their nests. Late summer settles back and drifts as hope drifts and shuts its eyes and falls, not sensing that it falls and dies. Hmm. Fortunately, not permanently. <laughs> it will return. Yes, it's hope. true. It will. I love, in your poetry, you have a wonderful way of sort of internal rhyme that bounces back and forth, and I love that about your poems. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find an example. Oh, string, wings, eyes, dyes, you know, but they're, they, they don't come at the end of the line. They come internal to the lines, and it just makes this beautiful... Yeah, and it's Echo. not even a conscious thing. It's just, you know, it's like your it's in, inner in, rhythm. In the flow and the rhythm. That's exactly yeah, right. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I admire that in your poetry. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, let's see. One of the last poems in the book, or maybe it is the last one. It is poem. the last oh. one if you're Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's do that one. And so do you wanna we'll just do it. It's it's well, yeah, it's called Song for Two Voices. And it, it it's mostly about uh, two voices of mine. <laughs> so okay. I'll give you the first one, which is the one that, that uh that's comfortable being alone. Okay. And and the second one, which is, you know, really just excited about spring. So they overlap. They're two different poems, they overlap. So Song for Two Voices. What if the day comes loudly like a robin's passion song when nothing's left for me but spring with fringe upon her limbs, empty corridors, empty rooms, grown through every crack she finds without a chair for resting on, weaves nests below the overhang, shuffling lost from box to box, draws flowers out of every stalk. Not knowing when or if I can. Gives birth to countless living things. Located door to exit from. Explodes in color, globes of light. Love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's fun to read a poem in two voices. Um, do you want to do one last one? Either maybe Magic Pill or... Let's do magic pill because magic again, pill. it's one with a little more hope. And that okay. was second, we could use some hope. Second to the last poem in the book. Okay, let's hear it. Magic pill. The magic pill you swallow is not the one to save you, though it will draw you back into the mouthpiece of the wind's tin trumpet where silence is. All soundlessness begins with you. Where will you go, not groaning? Will you kazoo? Will you blow bubbles through a straw? Death's not for you, the end of breath not yet. As long as winter won't let up, you're stuck in its merciless surf, sucked out, flung back. Winter lives your life 
and does the busy work you can't. Lie back and let it die a drawn-out death. After that, reset yourself in peace. Kazoos, some tulips, sweet rebirth. Love that. (laughs) Thank you. Kazoos, some tulips, (laughs) sweet rebirth. Yeah. It's coming. Ah, Spring is coming. Spring is coming. (laughs) Mm. Well... It has been great to have you on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's been fun. More fun than I expected. Ah, (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your words with us. And can you uh, let listeners know how they can find you on the web? What's your... Yeah, it's real easy. GeorgiaResmeyer.com. And Resmeyer is R-E-S-S-M-E-Y-E-R. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for being here. And thank you, listener, for joining us. If you have an idea for the show, please reach out to me at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com. And please join us again next time for Poetry on Air. You have been listening to Poetry on Air, hosted by Sheboygan's Poet Laureate, Lisa Vihos. Questions or comments can be directed to Lisa at poetlaureatesheboygan.com at gmail.com Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Reed Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org Music